kind of be confirmed, but um, we're going to take another step after he is ordained, and we will vote on him at the end of the service to be or to not to be an elder of Creekside Church. And um, if you don't know much about us over the last two years, um, we've kind of been operating under an advisory team uh, from the staff there at Church at Cane Bay. We've been kind of following a lot of their leadership and so forth, and um, I've been working with them, but today, and adding to our leadership, um, I think that's a really, really cool thing, and it is a sign, I think, of, uh, of growth. I think it is a sign of, of health, of good health and maturation for us as a church, and so this is really exciting. But today, this is kind of a, um, this is a, a two-part deal. It's a two-part deal for us, and we've been talking about Vision 2020, and I thought that was really cool and really unique, and then every church around here decided to take that too. So everybody's talking about Vision 2020, and uh, last week we celebrated two years as a church. Two years as a church, we celebrated that. Listen, if you weren't here for that last week, I'll, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. If you would, go onto our podcast or go on to our website. I want you to listen to that sermon because we put it all out there for you for what we believe the vision is that God has called us to in 2020 and beyond. So I would ask you to go and listen to that. Uh, and just a, a couple of housekeeping things that if you're a partner of Creekside Church and you've gone through Discover class, um, we have covenants at the very back that at the end of the service last week, we all signed our covenants. We renewed them for this year that we're all on the same page. So we all want to press in. And so if you're a partner of Creekside Church, if you have not signed a covenant, you can do that. It's right at the back of the table. You can do it after service. But for those of you who are not partners and have not officially joined Creekside Church or become what we call partners, uh, not necessarily members, but partners, if you have not signed a covenant or you're not a member or partner of Creekside Church, we have something really exciting that we want to invite you to, and that's called our Discover class. Uh, Discover class is going to be on January 26th. Uh, right down the hall in the elementary library. Um, I say that all the time, elementary library, and like, what school? I'm like, the school that we meet at. Um, 8.30 a.m., we'll have coffee, breakfast, and um, we'll have a, a child care room for your kids. If you have been kind of dating us over the last several months, and you've been kind of figuring us out and watching us from a distance, this is for you, and you will probably get a call uh, this week specifically asking you to sign up and be a part of that because we think a lot about you and we want you to join this family officially. And so uh, if you have not signed up for that, I'm going to ask you if you would go ahead and sign up. That's in two weeks, uh, January 26th. It's at 8.30 in the morning. And if we need to, we can go the next week. Um, but Vision 2020, that's kind of what we're talking about. We want you to be on board for that. Um, but before we jump in this morning, I'm just going to go ahead and ask that we pray. And uh, I'm going to ask if you would just to pray with me and um, let's invite the Spirit to open our eyes this morning through His Word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we come, God, um, Lord, this, this is a, a big moment for our church. And um, as we'll see, God, that this is no small thing. Um, leadership of a church should not be taken lightly. Um, the church essentially is what? you went to the cross and endured the wrath of God for. Um, you died for the church, and so if it requires your life, Lord, then I, I believe that it's not something that's meant to be taken lightly. It's not something that's meant to be taken flippantly. Um, and so we do take it seriously. And God, we're thankful for uh, Pastor Ryan and for his life. 
Um, as he will share earlier, or, or later, as he will share later, Lord, the, um, it was a path with a lot of winds and curves, um, but it was a path that you never left. You were always there. And so we're just thankful for your faithfulness in his life and um, for his family and for Nicole and for Gaines, Malachi, and um, God, their faithfulness to Creekside Church, their faithfulness to you. So we ask this morning that you would open our eyes to the scriptures and allow us to see, God, what it is that you say, because you've given us a mandate for what it looks like to have leaders in the church. And so open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So two years as a church, and um, I was kind of getting ready and doing the preparation for last week's sermon, and I, I looked online to kind of see the description of what a healthy two-year-old child looks like. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but there's a lot of different interpretations about what a two-year-old child looks like. You can go on any website, and you can see, um, according to doctors, according to people who know things, apparently, pediatricians and so forth, they have certain things, apparently, that uh, marks or indicators for what a healthy two-year-old child looks like. Maybe um, some language skills, motor skills that are developing, knowing certain words, whatever it is. I'm not a good judge of that. I have a five-month-old, so you do you. And uh, But as it translates to a two-year-old child, we can see those things. We can understand those things. It's easier to perceive. But what does a healthy two-year-old church look like? Have you ever asked yourself that? Okay, two years in, um, there are certain indicators, there are certain criteria, I believe, that from the Scriptures we learn And that we look at what does a healthy two-year-old church look like. Obviously, you know, a a two-year-old child is not fully grown. They're not mature. They can't necessarily do a lot of the things that an adult could or that an eight-year-old could. Um, And and we don't necessarily even hold them to that standard. We look at them and say, okay, you're two years old. What should we, as a two-year-old church, hold ourselves to? What standards should we look at and say, okay, this is healthy And this is not healthy. These are things that we see in Scripture. These are things that we don't see in Scripture. This is a place that we should be. This is probably a place that we could see ourselves five to ten years down the road. It's okay that we're not there yet. Um, What are those things? What does a healthy church look like? And I believe that one of the healthy indicators or one of the characteristics of a healthy church is that a healthy church has leadership. A healthy church has what we would call a, uh, a team of elders. Now, that's not really a word that we use today, elder. What is an elder? Well, that's an old person, right? You mind your elders, right? Or, or whenever I was a kid and I heard the word elder, I thought about like Lord of the Rings. And I actually didn't even think about elder, but I thought about elf. Okay, it's like, okay, that's not really an elf. And, uh, so what is, what is an elder? What is an overseer? Who is an overseer? As a matter of fact, we see this in Scripture. In Acts 14, you can see this, that as Paul is going around and establishing the church in Acts 14 and other Scriptures, we see that he has this pattern that before he leaves a church, it says that Paul appoints elders, he appoints people to lead the church while he is gone. People that would be in leadership, essentially. And that was kind of his pattern. He would start a church from the harvest or from the lost. He would then train them and teach them how to live as disciples. And then he would take from the few 
And he would take qualified men and he would form a team of elders to then lead the church and he would move on. And that was the process that he had. He would go into a new town. He would take from the lost people there, start a church basically, disciple them, allow them to see what it looks like to have a healthy biblical understanding of what a church is, what a disciple is. And then he would take from those that were qualified. He would make them elders or leaders or the church would decide that for themselves. Who are the ones who meet this description the best? And then Paul would move on. Now over history... Lots of things have happened. Lots of things have changed. And a lot of churches, uh, they have widened that definition. They have shortened that definition. They have widened or shortened that practice of having a team of elders or having a team of leaders. You see, but here's here's the thing, is that the church is neither a democracy nor is it a dictatorship. The church is neither a democracy nor a dictatorship. We don't see in the book of Acts, we don't see a precedent for the church taking a vote and making decisions on every single little detail of the church. All right? We don't see that. But here today in some churches, the church needs to vote on the color of the carpet, the type of doorknobs that's put on the door, and need to vote on the signage that goes out front. The church has to vote for everything, and they get bogged down, and there's a committee to form a committee. There's a committee for everything. We don't really see that in Scripture. We don't really see that because one of the main reasons is that while every follower of Jesus can be a part of the church, not everybody is qualified to lead the church. While everyone is called to, to be a part of the body and while everyone is, is on equal footing in terms of grace, we've all been saved We've all come to know Christ, and we stand under the grace of God. Not everyone is qualified to lead the church. So the church is not a democracy, but the church is not also a dictatorship. The church is not a dictatorship. It's not what I say goes. It's not what I say goes. It's not a dictatorship where one person is at the top calling all the shots with little input from everybody with little input from anybody. You see, too much authority within the church can corrupt. And while we don't see a precedent for everybody voting on everything, we also don't see a precedent in the Scripture for one man or one person making all the decisions. And so today, I want you to understand that this is a healthy thing for things to grow and for things to be out of my hands, for things to be out of under my leadership, or for it, for it to be out of the leadership of um, the advisory team that we have from church at Cane Bay. This is a healthy thing. This is a characteristic of a church that's healthy and a church that's growing. So I want you to understand that. Here at, church, at Creekside Church, we believe in the pr- plurality, easy for me to say, plurality, or multiple leaders, multiple elders who are both called, qualified, and who are willing. So we, we are led by a multiple teams or a plurality of elders who are called by God to lead the church, who are qualified by the scriptures, and who are willing to lead the church. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to see what the scriptures say about who these men are. Who are these elders? Is it people with gray hair? Well, maybe. 
who's qualified and who's called to lead the church. Look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. He says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder or leader, kind of overseer of the church, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Flip over with me to Titus. The book of Titus is just two books over to the right. Titus chapter 1. Same deal. Paul's given the the description of what an elder or an overseer should look like. Titus 1, starting in verse 5. He says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and do what? He says, appoint elders, appoint overseers in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, he says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. But an overseer must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Listen, and this is the only difference that we see really from Titus, the book of Titus and 1 Timothy. This is a difference and one of the things that was added. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. Now we'll talk about what that means. Go back to 1 Timothy. Okay, so there are qualifications for who can lead the church. There are things that will qualify a man to lead a church, and there are also things that will disqualify a man from being in leadership and leading the church. These are the things that Paul says an elder must be, okay? Must be. These are things that an elder must be. First of all, he must be willing that we can't force Anybody to be an elder or an overseer of the church. We can't twist anybody's arm. That if they're not willing participants, then we should just kind of move on to the next guy. But they must be willing. Willing. He says, above reproach. Meaning that nobody should have anything that they could bring against them. No brother or sister in the church. No neighbor. No friend. No family member has anything that they can bring against this man according to the word of God and say, look, that is not a man of God. Or I have a dispute that needs to be settled with this person. It says that they must be a, a man of one woman, meaning, uh, meaning lots of things, basically. But it also means that he must be a, a one-woman man, 
a one-woman man, that he must be kind of married to this lady, the love of his life. And now there's a lot of different churches that have all sorts of different definitions and requirements about that. Here's where Creekside Church stands. We stand on this. Can a divorced man be an overseer or an elder? Maybe. It depends on the person. Our official stance is that it is a case-by-case basis. We would ask all sorts of questions about this. Was this person a believer in Christ when they were divorced? Was this man, uh, did he have a choice in the divorce? Or was he just completely abandoned by his wife? Did this man seek restitution with his wife and try to not seek divorce? Did all these things, all sorts of questions come into our mind. So it's a case-by-case basis on whether or not we believe that a divorced man can be an overseer or a leader. Is he a one-woman man? He also says that he must be sober-minded. Sober-minded, not led by wine or not led by alcohol or drugs. Is his mind clear so that he can make decisions? That he must be self-controlled. And that covers all sorts of things, self-control. Is a man self-controlled in his image? Is he disciplined in the way that he disciplines his body? Is a man disciplined to the point in the things that he watches on TV or on his computer? Can he say no to that extra drink to the point where he's going to become drunk or tempted with wine? That he must be respectable. That people look at him and say that I respect that person. Another way to ask this is, do people actually follow them? Do people follow them? They respect his wisdom. They respect the things that he has to say. If they have a question in life, is he somebody that they can go to with that question? That he must be hospitable and <coughs> excuse me, invite people over to his house. That he must be able to teach, teach the Word of God. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he must be able to preach. It doesn't even necessarily mean that he's been to seminary or anything like that. But can he take concepts from the Word of God and teach them and be able to make it make sense to people? Is he gentle? Or does he have a spirit that is kind of pugnacious? Is he the fighting kind of a guy? Is he just looking for a fight out on Friday night? You got to really ask that here in the city of Goose Creek. Gentle. That's a check one, all right? We're going to keep our eye on that one. Gentle. Is he a good manager of his home? Now, some of you are like, that ain't none of your business. What happens in my home? First Timothy 3 says that if you want to lead the church, you better be able to lead your house well. And what does his wife say about it? By the way, we have asked Nicole what she thinks of Ryan. And the only thing she said was that maybe he should shave more often. I don't know. Is he well thought of by outsiders? And the thing that Titus said, or we see in the book of Titus, to Titus was that he must be well versed in his theology. He says that we want people on the team that know the Bible. That we want people on the team that have a uh, quote black belt in theology. That they know where they stand. So that if somebody comes inside the church or if there's opposition outside the church, they know how to defend God's word and defend it well. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that he has to be perfect. But he does need to know what the Word of God says and not question those things, not be tossed to and fro. So those are things that it says an elder must be. What are the things that it says that an elder must not be? What are the things that an elder would be disqualified for? Things that would disqualify a pastor, one, is being a drunkard. 
Um, That's straight from the Word of God, being a drunk, someone that is um, kind of holding over their alcohol, that you go over their house and they're consistently drinking, that they're not able to make wise decisions, not able to make wise choices because they're consistently under the consumption or under the influence of something, whether it be alcohol or some type of uh, a drug use, whatever it is, doesn't even doesn't necessarily mean they can't take medication. That's not what we're saying. But is this man under the influence of alcohol consistently? Things an elder must not be, must not be violent or quarrelsome, must not be a lover of money. Pastors primarily are tempted by, by three things that we would say that every pastor is tempted by are money, sex, and power. Is the man who's called or is the man who's up uh, to be considered for eldership, is he a lover of money? Is he consumed by money? Does he make a lot of decisions under the table? Is there a sleight of hand? And then the last thing they says is, uh, he must not be a recent convert. A, mu- a recent convert because um, if they are a recent convert, it is easy for them to fall under disgrace. Basically what they're saying is, let the man be tested. Let there be time and let the man be tested. Let us see and let us have proof that he is who he says he is. Let there be a given period of time in order for that to happen. Now, many of you are probably sitting there and saying, why in the world should I care about this? This has nothing to do with me. I don't plan to be in leadership. I don't ever, I don't ever plan. You, you say it and I'll follow. Whatever it is, you know, I, I don't really have plans. That What does that have to do with me? And that's a good question. And I I found three specific ways of why this should concern you. Number one, although these are qualifications and characteristics of a man who should be an overseer of the church, they're not bad for you to live by yourself. They're not bad for you to live by yourself. Are you above reproach? Are you someone who is sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, meaning that you know the Word of God? Are you gentle? Are you a good home manager? Are you well thought of by outsiders? Can anyone bring something against you? Are you a drunkard? Man, I feel so old school using that word, drunkard. Violent, quarrelsome, lover of money. Are you those things? We're not bad for you to try and follow yourself, even though you may not necessarily be called into eldership. You should, as a believer, try and hold yourself to these standards. Secondly, these are the folks that are going to be leading you. And so I hope that you hold your leaders to the standard of God's Word. That you hold your leaders to the standard and say, hey, that's not right. I give you permission to speak into my life whenever I'm not above reproach. I give you permission to speak into Pastor Ryan's life whenever he's not above reproach. If you have something against us, we want to know about it so that we can seek restitution. We want to know so that we can make things right, and uh, not necessarily for every little decision that's made, but over our character, who we are as men. We want to know about it. And then lastly, the third thing is this. Should you ever find yourself, and I hope not, but should you ever find yourself in another church that's not called Creekside Church, I hope that you use these same standards for any pastor that you'll have in the future. And if you happen to move, you have to take another church, whatever it is, that you would look at the book of 1 Timothy, you look at the chapter of 1 Timothy 3, that you would look at Titus 1 and say, okay, I look at this and I see that this is not right. 
there's something not right about this. I've even heard of churches, you know, near and far. I would say, okay, you want to be called? You want to be, any, you want to be a deacon? You want to be an elder of the church? Come on up. All right, brother, you're a deacon. You're an elder. Won't even crack open the Word of God. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And if you should ever happen to find yourself in one of those churches, you should be asking some questions. Who's qualified? Who's called? Who's not? So this morning we have an exciting opportunity where um, we get to look under the microscope at one, um, one young man, um, Pastor Ryan. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow him to come and speak and share a little bit about his calling and share a little bit about his testimony and um, how he happens to find himself here and now. Um, but before he does that, I want you to know two things that have happened. One is that we had um, kind of a pre-qualification uh, survey that was sent, one to his wife, and we sent one to two other guys that know, and you can come on, and have worked with him over the last several years, and they've been um, kind of knowing the ins and outs of who he is and so forth, and it came back flying colors, other than the fact that his wife said that he needs to shave a little bit more often. And after that was done, we had an opportunity to gather him in a room with a bunch of other men who have also been ordained at a pastorate level. And for two and a half, three hours, we sat in the room and we grilled Ryan. And we even cut the heat up on the thermostat to see if he was sweat. And he didn't. He passed with flying colors. Now, in that time, we asked him all sorts of different, different questions about his theology. What does he believe about this? And um, walked through First Timothy 3 and asked him all sorts of questions about his calling, about what the gospel is. And every man in the room uh, said that we, we believe that God has called Ryan and that he is qualified to be an elder and a pastor of the church. So with the recommendation of those folks and um, with the recommendation of his wife and for those that are closest to him, uh, we believe that he does meet the qualifications uh, to be an elder. And so that's why we're here this morning. We're going to pass it over to him and allow him. I'll use this mic to talk to you guys. Um, so just a little bit about my story and, and my calling into ministry specifically within the church. Uh, I grew up in a home with a dad. My dad and mom are here today. And uh, my dad, his title from his generation, they call it a minister of music. And that basically is a worship director or worship pastor of today. He's been doing that for 40 years, so longer than I've been alive. So I've grown up in the church, uh, I tell the story all the time, my brother and I used to, we had pews in the churches, in the church we grew up in, my brother and I would like race under the pews from the back to the front, we were always in the church. Um, but in high school, I, we moved, and there was a lot of circumstances surrounding it, um, but I got mad at God. See, when I was, when I was a, a little kid, I prayed a prayer asking Jesus into my heart, which is a, a thing that a lot of kids do at a young age. And it, it's a great thing, um, but when I prayed that prayer asking Jesus into my heart, I, I didn't understand what it meant at that time to actually give my entire life to God and pursue his will for my life. Um, so when we got in high school, we moved to a different state, and some things happened, and, and I got pretty angry at God. And so I spent some time running in the opposite direction as hard as I could, and 
on another day and another time, if you want to sit down and ask about the details of that, I'd be more than happy to give you all the details, but we'd be sitting here all week talking about all the ways and the decisions that I made in running from God as hard as I could. Um, I found myself living on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and I was living a life that I thought I wanted to live that was devoid of a relationship with God, and I found myself just absolutely miserable. Um, And so I called my dad, and I talked to him, and I always tell people, parents always know what their kids are doing, even when the kids think they're fooling their parents. They always know. Um, And my dad knew, and my mom knew. But I I talked to my dad, and I never forget that time, and this is something I tell everybody. And dad's out there, I, I hope you remember this. Every time I would talk to my dad on the phone, he would always end it. No matter what was going on, he would always end it and say, I love you, and I'm praying for you. Every time. And so finally, one night I told him, you know, the things that I was dealing with and struggling with, and, and he said, um, I think God's trying to tell you something. And I think for you, maybe you want to look at finding a church to get back involved in. And so I did. That's what I did. I found a church up the beach and didn't tell any of my friends I was going there. And I spent the next month going to that church and got involved in that church. And I heard the gospel proclaimed again. I got involved in a small group and and I started reading the scriptures that I had learned the stories of, of growing up. But at that time, in some ways, even though I believed God existed, they were just stories. They didn't really resonate at that time, but all of a sudden they started resonating. And I remember one night sitting in my living room, it was about midnight, and I was praying, asking God, and I said, God, what is it you're trying to tell me? What am I, what am I supposed to be doing? And he told me in that moment, it wasn't an audible voice, but I had just read the, son of the, the story of the prodigal son, and he said, you know, when you prayed that prayer as a kid, you prayed a prayer asking me into your heart but you didn't know what it meant to give me your life fully. And right now in this moment, you have a choice. You can give me your life fully in its entirety, and you can pursue my will for your life, which is good. Or I'm going to let you continue to make the decisions that you think you want to make, and my voice is going to slowly fade out of the picture. And at that moment, I knew that's not what I wanted to happen. And so that's what I did. I got on the floor in the living room, nobody else around, and I told God, I said, you have it. You have my life, whatever that means. And I didn't know at that point what that meant, but I called my dad, and I said, Dad, this is the decision I've made. I I know I need to give God my life fully in its entirety, but I don't know what that looks like. And the short of the story is, is my dad said, I think you need to go back to school. And at that, I I realized that God was calling me to music ministry, not knowing what that looked like at all. I was going to go back to school because God was calling me to music ministry. And so that's what I did. I went back to school at Southeastern Seminary, and that's where I ran into Nicole again. And she was finishing up a master's degree. And we had met three years before and had no communication with each other. And In the process of all that, we got married. And through that, I began to learn that we were serving in churches where we were at. 
And I began to see that God's calling on my life was through music because of my loves for music, for drums, for what I had grown up in. But my calling was also to the church because I had grown up in church and I had seen a lot of beautiful things in the church, a lot of good in the church. I had seen a lot of, I'd seen the gospel proclaimed in the church, but I had also seen a lot of the underbelly of the church, a lot of the hypocrisy in the church, a lot of ways that our culture views church and, and, and kind of how we approach church in today's society. And God said, I've shown you all this because I want to use you to minister to the church today and minister to the people outside of the church. But I want my name to be proclaimed inside of the church. I want my grace, I want my salvation to be preached with inside the church. And I've shown you all this. I've shown you all the things that you see with the church people, with leadership, with all that, all the the things that people say, I'm not involved in church because of I saw this happen. They get out of church because of decisions that men have made, women have made. And what they forget is our faith is not in man. Our faith is in God. Our faith is in him, and he has called us to be a church. The church in Scripture is the bride of Christ. And if the church is the bride of Christ... What does that mean in how we relate to our church family? What does that mean in how we interact when things look like they're going bad? In our marriages, if things are going bad, we fight for that marriage, right? Well, it's the same with the church. When things are going bad, we fight for that relationship because that's what God has called us to. And that's what I feel like my ministry is. My ministry is to to communicate that to you guys, to communicate that to the world that is running from God, is running from church. And it's like, guys, I know, I understand what you're saying, but this isn't what God intended. What God intended is a relationship of love and of grace and of reconciliation and spiritual growth that comes along with that so that we can in turn continue to do the same thing. So, why ministry? Why be ordained? If you had asked me a couple years ago, do you want to be ordained? I would have said absolutely not. I know the attacks that come along with it. I've seen the attacks that go along with it. I've seen the men that have fallen from leadership. I've seen the horror stories. But God said, God, he's made it clear, this is what we're called to do. We're called to love each other. We're called to serve each other. We're called to be who he created us to be in the good and the bad. We're called to give him glory through all of it. We're called to rejoice in him through the struggles and through the good things. And so that's what I believe. That, that's, that's why I'm here, is I can, I can hopefully communicate to that to you guys. All right, so what we're going to do now is we're going to have Ryan come and now we've got the chair there, and um, i got to sit in the chair again. This is not an electric chair, but we'll ask you to go ahead and sit down. And what we'll do is, um, <coughs> if you are a man in the room and you have been ordained, and you would like to, we would ask you to come and lay hands on uh, Pastor Ryan, and we will pray for him over his life, over his ministry, over his family, and... Um, we're going to do this with Ryan in just a minute, and then in just a few seconds, we'll ask Nicole to come up, and we'll do that for her, too. 
Um, but if you're a man and you've been ordained and you'd like to come forward, uh, we would ask that you do that now and lay hands on him and we'll pray for him. And while you're there in the seats, we're going to ask that you would do the same, that you would lift him up in prayer and we're all just going to do it at the same time. And uh, would you pray for him too as, as, we, uh, as we do this? But it's not just Ryan that's called, it's his wife that's also called. Is she around, Nicole? <laughs> we're going to ask if you would give your seat to your wife. And we're going to ask the, <clears throat> the ladies of uh, your husbands, if you see your husband here, if you would come forward. And um, you are the first lady of your house. If you'd come and lay hands on Nicole and pray, pray over her and pray over her life and ministry. And, there as you see, would you pray for them too? We'll ask just one of you ladies, if you wouldn't mind, to lift up a prayer for us. Thank you all. You may go ahead and go back. And
So I'll present you with a certificate of ordination. And yeah, you actually, <laughs> you actually don't get to take that home because we've got to frame it. Uh, we're not cheap or anything like that. Just got to get a, a proper frame for it. Needed to get everybody to sign that. Um, but here are some books that uh, we expect to report on tomorrow morning. So I hope you've cleared out some time. And uh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, we do want to say that uh, we appreciate you guys. We love you. Uh, praise God that over a, a little over a year ago, we started having conversations about coming to help and lead, um, not just to lead at Creekside Church, but for every man, woman, and child in the city of Goose Creek. And so we thank you guys and are excited that we get to be a part of what God's doing in your life um, that will go on long after we've even been together. And so thank you for doing that. Now I'm going to ask, if you would, to go ahead. We're going to take care of some church and family business. If you guys would leave the room for just a few minutes. and um, Yeah, there you go. You close the door behind you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so obviously, guys, you, uh, you know how I feel about them. We walked through the Word of God from 1 Timothy 3 and from Titus 1. And I was totally kidding about that. <laughs> that was... That was Josh. Josh did that, so. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, Titus 1, we've seen the qualifications, obviously. Um, you know how I feel about them, feel like they're called. We wouldn't be having this conversation if I didn't. Um, several other pastors from around the area, and the pastors at Church of Cane Bay, and um, Pastor Steve and um, his, his father, they've all agreed that he does meet those qualifications. So what we're going to ask is that if you are a partner of Creekside Church, and um, you've been with us, and you've been through Discover class, and you are a partner, a member here, and you feel like uh, you are um, putting your yes or your stamp on Ryan becoming an elder of Creekside Church, would you just raise your right hand? Right hand, yeah, right hand. This is right, this is left. Okay, awesome. And if you are a partner of Creekside Church and you oppose that decision, would you let us know? <laughs> okay. Just couldn't stand it. All right, well, good deal. Well, then that is a unanimous decision. Uh, we will call Pastor Ryan to be uh, one of the elders and one of the folks that help lead us into 2020 and in the future. And we'll invite them back in. Um, Amber, you mind going to grab them? Thank you for doing that. Um, this is really cool. We'll surprise them. How about that? Well, guys, we appreciate you. Journey Church is down the street. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you passed with flying colors, and you are now an elder of Creekside Church, and we're excited about this. Really cool. So we'll just ask you guys to stand here in the center, and uh, what we're going to do is in just a few seconds, we'll ask everybody, uh, all of our church family, to come together and lay hands on them. And, you get to come and, and stand and pray for them, and I'll close this out at the end. I just want to say something really fast. So uh, I know growing up, and, and especially in churches, and um, we talk about you know who can be an elder, who can be an overseer, and sometimes it feels like our ladies are, are missed out on. And it's like, well, what about me? You know, I have a role to play, and absolutely you do. You do have a role to play here, and it's not just supporting the men. Um, we're, we're actually seeing all across the world right now where movements are being led by women and by ladies. And I want you to understand that you have a, a significant role, not just in Creekside Church, but you have a significant role in the work that we're trying to accomplish here in the city of Goose Creek. 
And so I just want to say that to you, that we appreciate you, that we love you, um, that here in Creekside, I feel like majority of our ladies are even taking the lead in a lot of ways. And, um, And we just, we appreciate you. We affirm the work that you're doing here. And we want you to keep going. Sound good? So we love you. We're thinking about you too. But I'm going to ask if you would, go ahead and stand right here in the center and everybody come on up and lay hands on them. And we're going to close out our service and and pray for them. And come on in, squeeze in tight. Now, we don't do a great job at this, but I'm going to ask if you would to pray out loud for them. Don't be shy. Don't be bashful. Pray out loud. Let them hear your prayers. Go ahead and squeeze in and Whenever I feel like everybody's had a chance to pray, I'll close this out, okay? Ready, set, go. Father, we echo all the things that have been said here today. And Lord, thank you for the calling on their life. Thank you for <clears throat> allowing them to be a part of our fellowship and our body. Uh, give them wisdom. Lord, give them discernment and discipline. Lord, we know that our enemy is, is real. Uh, he's real and he is a like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour And it just so happens, Lord, that whenever we answer the call, whenever we step forward, that we're putting our yes on the table to to be targets. So I just pray for them, Lord, protect their marriage. Protect their marriage, Lord. I I pray that nothing come between them, Lord, that they seek moments throughout their days and weeks, intentional moments of 
of love and, and companionship. Lord, we pray that 40 years from now that their marriage is, is still intact, but stronger than it is even today. We pray over their boys. Lord, we know that, that even, even our children lie as prey sometimes to the enemy. But we know that we serve a, a great and mighty God, a warrior God who stands and fights on our behalf. And so we just pray protection over them. We pray that whenever the time comes and whenever the time is right, that you make yourself known to them, that they become followers of Jesus too. That as the tradition goes, maybe you call them into ministry. Ministry as vocation. We know that we're all called to ministry, but may they see it too as, as a career and a vocation. God, we ask for wisdom over them in our days and in weeks to come. Lord, just because this is happening, Lord, doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean that it's going to be peaches and cream. Doesn't mean that he and I will agree on every decision that needs to be made. But we know that we'll trust you and that we'll follow you no matter what. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. That dismisses our service today. Thanks, everybody, for being here. And we will see you next week.